We are once again in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We are taking a uh, second look or finishing our uh, study of the parable, the prodigal son. It's such a famous parable, such a big parable, uh, that it was worth at least two Sundays. Uh, so we are um, taking a look at it, uh, it again, and we'll be wrapping up our study uh, of, the, of the prodigal son uh, today. You find our passage and, uh, beginning in page 874 in the bottom right-hand corner of the Pew Bible there. And we're beginning in verse 11. I'll be, bring the text up on the screen and be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into, into his fields to feed the pigs. And, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants has more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said to, and his son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to his people. So last week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son, and we really uh, took some time to, with the details of the story to understand uh, some things that we might not uh, uh, get at first glance, like how offensive uh, the younger son's request was. It was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff, right? And it was a slap in the face. And, he actually, uh, and, uh, and, the, and then he runs off, and he spends it all. But equally, the, the elder brother, 
uh, was, uh, was uh, sinfully disrespectful to his father. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, but the younger son returns home. But as we learned here, we tend to, teaching tends to focus on just the younger brother, the younger son. And, 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 and it's not that that's wrong, it's just incomplete. Because what we saw last week is that the, the parable of the prodigal son is really mistitled because it is a story about two lost sons, about an astoundingly gracious father. And as we're going to think about today, consider today that it is actually a story about us. And uh, now, uh, when, when we have to be careful when we're trying to find ourselves in a story in the Bible. Sometimes we will read a Bible text like David and Goliath or Daniel in the lion's den, and we will conclude that, of course, we're David. We're Daniel. And God just requires us to believe uh, in Him and in ourselves so we can face our giants uh, or pits of ravenous lions. Whatever the, the, however, that metaphor may apply to our situation in that moment. Now, we know that the Word of God is given to us to, uh, to speak to us, to convict us, comfort us, and equip us for the service of God. But there is a way that we can apply the Word of God and, and treat it as if the Word of God exists to be kind of crammed and conformed to my life story rather than my story fitting into God's grand story. And so uh, we're, so we're going to look first uh, at how we can find ourselves in this story rightly. And then secondly, how we find grace in this story. So first, let's consider how to find ourselves in this story. And really, it comes down to um, two brothers and the two paths they represent. Two brothers and two paths. And, and so when we're reading a gospel story, you know, especially when you're dealing with like the Pharisees or the, or the disciples and things like that, and you're trying to find where you fit in, in there, it's, it can be uh, difficult. But just remember, we never get to be Jesus, right? So we're either, or oftentimes we're either the disciples who don't get it or who are being foolish um, or we're the hard-hearted Pharisees or the sinners and the tax collectors, right? Uh, but we don't get to find ourselves, like we're not the heroes of the story. God is, Jesus is, but we are not. But here, the brothers represent two paths. They represent uh, two different ways to seek one's happiness apart from God. Because both brothers have desires that when we look at them are remarkably earthly and low, that are essentially different forms, a desire for different forms of material prosperity and pleasure. Perhaps the elder brother's desires are a little more restrained, a little more noble, but he desires material prosperity. He's just mad because he didn't get a young goat, right? He's mad because he didn't get the stuff. The younger brother, he represents seeking our happiness, particularly through the pursuit of pleasure. The fancy word for this is hedonism. Just if it feels good, do it. That's what hedonism is. Uh, Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, calls this the way of self-discovery. The way a person goes off to go find themselves at, at college or in their midlife crisis. This is seeking happiness essentially through breaking rules. 
throwing off the strictures of family and society and etc. in order to find happiness. This is very ingrained in our culture today. It's seen even in the church where people who uh, used to be professing uh, members of churches start deconstructing their faith, which usually lands them, in, uh, unsurprisingly, in some sort of liberal progressivism, which may be new to them, but it is not new to the church. Our culture prizes the search for our authentic self, and it is our chief good to find it, especially if... Along the way, we reject historic Christian orthodoxy. You'll be happy if you just find your true self, if you're just true to yourself, if you follow your heart, if you finally express that repressed sexuality and ditch all those toxic people and their religious beliefs that are just holding you back. That is the way of the younger brother. The older brother represents the exact opposite way. He represents the way of seeking one's happiness through moralism. Here is the brother who stayed, who followed the rules, who gave the salute to his parents, who is responsible, who pays his taxes, has a nice house, and does his job and fulfills his duty. But here is the way of the Pharisee. The way of the church rule keeper, the way, the way of the judgmental church goer who bitterly complains about how it's your turn to do something in church because I did it last time, right? It's your turn to serve on the committee because I did it already. It is, and, and, for, and by the way, I have a firm policy that if there's like a committee or something that no one wants to do, then we just don't do it. Right? If nobody wants to teach Sunday school, then we don't teach Sunday school. Right? Because I'm not going to sit here and guilt and blast people and drag them into the back. And, you know, it's like, it's just one of the things. So we don't have that problem. But I always remind people look, apart from Sunday morning worship, the gathering of the worship, there is no requirement to do things like Sunday school. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to ask people to sacrifice their time, then we need to give them the resources they need. We need to also have a very clear objective that we're trying to accomplish, that we're trying to follow, right? Um, but, it's, uh, but, it's, uh, but it's always important to remember, and remember, why do we do these things? Why must we do them? And not just kind of get in the habit of some traditional, like churches that have been around for a long time, kind of throwing these kind of guilt bombs at people and just be like, it's your turn, it's your turn, and then basically just kind of shove somebody in a room with a bunch of kids and lock the door and be like, we'll see you in an hour, right? Like, we don't, we don't want to do that. And so, uh, and so, but, I mean, I literally also, also, this is something that has happened. I've seen this happen, not at this church, thankfully, uh, but at, 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 at others, uh, where they'll say, you know, um, we haven't seen this person in a long time. Let's put them on a committee, and then they'll have to come because they'll be embarrassed if they don't, right? We haven't seen this person in a long time. Let's make them an elder in the church, because then they'll have to come because we gave them responsibility. I'm like, that's, I don't think that's 1 Timothy 3, right? I don't think that's the biblical qualifications of an elder. They don't go to church, so therefore make them a leader of the church. Not a good idea. All right, so, but it happens, okay? Because it's, if people are tired, people are like, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. Someone else needs to help. 
and, but we give in to the temptations of guilting other people. So that happens. This is the way of the elder brother. It is, it is a path of manipulation whereby one, by one's obedience to God, they make God indebted to them. This is why so many el- older brother types get so bitter and angry later on in their life in the church because they obeyed all the rules. They attended and taught the Sunday schools. They listened to the sermon after sermon from that boring preacher. And they served and they gave sacrificially. And what did they get out of it? They checked all the boxes. But as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if I do everything, if I even give up my body, sacrifice it to the flames as a martyr. But if I have not love for God, then it is nothing. That's the parable of the two sons. That's the parable of the prodigal son. The elder brother doesn't have any love for the father. He has a, he has a voucher of debt that God owes him for his sacrificial obedience. And nothing makes him angrier than to see God forgiving, receiving, and restoring younger brothers who have returned home. And so there are two brothers and two paths apart that, that's, that are separate from God, that go away from God. This is a summary of the human condition. But before we get to finding the grace that meets our human condition, we need to accept the truth that, and this is hard, but we are not exceptional, okay? We are not special, special stars. Uh, I remember sharing this concept of the two brothers with a non-Christian at my work when I used to manage a coffee shop. You got the two brothers who don't love the father, one who seeks happiness by breaking the rules, the other one who seeks earthly happiness by keeping the rules. And her reply to me was, and then there's me. Like, I'm just a unique, you know, category of my very own. And as humorous, but, but she felt the point that was being made, and that was how she evaded it. That's how she ran away, ran away from it. And actually, her thinking is very common, especially as Americans. This may apply to everyone else, but I'm exceptional. I'm different. I'm unique. I have different circumstances. And while every person, I would say, is, has dignity, is unique and a beautiful creation of God made in His image, even a fallen image that dimly reflects his glory, we are not exceptional when it comes to our fallen state. We cannot escape the reality that our sinfulness, in our sinfulness, we often seek God, um, not uh, basically seek God uh, 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 instead of seeking him. What we're seeking is what the stuff that we can get from him. The stuff that we, the enjoyments that we can have in his creation, either by breaking his rules or getting him to give us stuff by keeping the rules. We try to use God or his creation to our own sinful ends. So let's say we agree with all that. You know, we say, okay, I can see myself. And I'll tell you honest, the more I think about this, I'm like, man, I've got a younger brother in me and, and an elder brother in me, all right? <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a rebellious, you know, sinner in, my, in me. And then I have a very judgmental elder brother in me, right? It just, it just depends on which day of the week you found me, right? So what do we do? Well, before we get to the answer, we need to, find, we need to consider the wrong answer, Okay. So consider what not to do. 
And think about the story. Because the younger brother comes up with the wrong answer at first. What is the solution that the younger brother does when he comes to himself, when he comes to his senses? Well, he broke all the rules and he, he did all the wrong things. So he said, what's the solution? Well, now I will become a servant for my father and start following all the rules. He says, I will become an elder brother. That's what I'll do. And so, and consider how the elder brother views himself when he says to his father, I've been a slave for you all these years. I never disobeyed you. The, the older brother considers himself a slave uh, unto his father. And not in like an Apostle Paul, you know, slave of Christ in freedom, like in, in a bad way. And so this means the younger brother's answer when the path of self-discovery fell through was simply to become a version of the elder brother, the rule keeper. And there are many like this in all kinds of religions. Younger brother types who turning from their unmoored floating about in the space of self-discovery and, and, and sinful uh, des- uh, pleasures and desires find a lot of comfort in either a legalistic form of Christianity or other religions that just give structure and definition and rules. We see it in the church. Members who have wild pasts who turn into the, the most hard-fisted Pharisees. And when they see a younger brother type, they are filled with anger because they see in that, in that person what they hate and regret in themselves. But the answer to the wounds and devastations of the path of rebellion cannot be to get onto the path of religious fastidiousness, legalism. But also what's interesting here is that the reverse is true as well. It's not just that younger brothers will try to become older brothers, but the older brothers will be, try to become younger brothers. In his book, The Whole Christ, Sinclair Ferguson argues, and he makes a, a very good point, that some of the most lawless, what he calls antinomian, anti-law, some of the most lawless people were once the most zealous of Pharisees. Those are the people who you hear online who are talking about, I went to church every Sunday and I went to Sunday school. I got the pins and I, would, uh, I believed all the things and I did all the things. And now, I've, I'm, now I'm on this journey through space and like they kind of just this free flow. I'm like, I get it. You're a liberal. Okay, I get it. Like you just, let's not pretend you're doing something new. All right. Because it's been around for a very long time. It's been around for several hundred years. But uh, but what they found was rule keeping wasn't getting, getting them the stuff that they wanted. It wasn't getting them the ends that they wanted. And so they just said, well, it, it, it must not be true. So they give it all up. So I kept all the rules. It didn't work. So now I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to get it. It's like the people, it's like someone who zealously does everything they can to, to be physically healthy. They do all the exercises, they eat healthy, and like one of those annoying people, they're going to tell you about their diet. You know, whatever their diet is that time, they're like, oh, and they were like, I'm paleo. You were like, well, I thought you were just drinking, you know, acai berry juice. You know, and they're like, well, no, I did that, but now I read this, and now I'm on this. You know, it's like, okay, and they're doing that, they're, 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 they get sleep, they, they, they do all the things. But then when they turn 45, they find out that they still get high blood pressure. And then, and then all of a sudden they just go, ugh, 
you know, long life and happiness was to be found through self-denial. So in their frustration, they determined, well, self-indulgence must be the key. So they just give up everything and just flip to the other side, all right? I mean, what are we to make of a guy like Frankie Schaefer, the son of famed apologist Francis Schaefer? I have a book in my office called A Time for Anger, written by him, who, after he wrote that book, went on to utterly reject the faith and embrace the most progressive liberalism that you can imagine. I mean, I could go on down a list of guys who are essentially known for the rigid orthodoxy, who have since abandoned the faith, you know, who said, that, oh, I've come to my senses. I'm now embracing a progressive liberal, uh, liberal theology. But what do they do? They went from being elder brothers to younger brothers. But at the end of the day, neither path of the younger brother or the elder brother is going to give us the happiness, peace, blessing, joy, or life that we seek. These are paths of self-destruction, of bitter disappointment, and despair. No amount of material prosperity or pleasure or the approval of other people will ever be enough. I'm serious. I know men who have taken their own life despite the fact that they knew they were financially secure but killed themselves because they felt financially vulnerable. And they couldn't just shake it, so they took their own life. No amount of personal self-discovery will ever satisfy. There is no end to the journey of navel-gazing. It is an endless search, not because we're so deep, but because the depths of our own depravity blind and disorient us and just keep us spinning in circles into dark spirals that just delve deeper and deeper. No man of religious rule-keeping will ever make us feel assured of our salvation or even happy. If everything depends on my religious performance, then I will always feel vulnerable and fearful and will attempt to shore that up by loosening God's standards, by being judgmental of others, constantly recommitting myself uh, through a, a form of emotionalism or some combination of all of them. So hopefully at this point we're asking, okay, if it's not that path or this path, then, then what is the answer then? And so this is where we've, we've found ourselves in the story, but now we need to see how we can find grace in the story. And there's really two ways, not really two ways, but two aspects of finding grace in this story um, because they both come from God. First, we need to find grace with our Father in heaven. Forgiveness is at the heart of this story. We see at the beginning a father who is grievously wronged by his younger son and then later by his elder son. The father has every right to punish and disinherit his sons, but he doesn't. But we have to note here that the damage has been done to the father's reputation, to the family's honor. And also material damage has been done. The younger son has consumed one-third of this wealthy family's estate. And there is an open question as to whether or not, I mean it's debated, whether or not the father restoring the son restores his inheritance. 
that he gets another third. And that point is debated. But even then, if the son got the third already and he comes back and the father kills the fatted calf, guess who the fatted calf technically belongs to? The elder brother. Because everything else belongs to the brother. But now everything, anything that the younger brother gets at this point on, uh, whether he gets his inheritance again or not, is going to cost the elder brother something. But this highlights the very nature of forgiveness. In our popular conceptions of forgiveness, uh, forgiveness is just saying you're forgiven, just declaring someone forgiven without any actual respect to the damage that they have done. This is what we like to call cheap grace. Lately, we more and more have a society who, who either, uh, you know, it embraces cheap grace unless you violate a very particular liberal morality. Uh, and then if you do that, then there is no path to forgiveness ever, right? It's forgiveness for everybody unless you violate my rules. And then I will never forgive you. But forgiveness, true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, does not make excuses, nor does it pretend like something didn't happen True forgiveness looks the grievance in the face and then eats the cost of it. And I've, met, I've talked about this before, but you know, if, if I came, if you invited me to your house and in my wonderful driving ability, I back into your mailbox and you have one of those nice mailboxes, you know, it's got brick, you know, it's a really, really nice layout. It's expensive. You're really proud when you got that in there. You're like, when people drive by, they're going to go, hey. Now that's a mailbox, you know? And so you had it in there and I run right into it, okay? Do some damage to it. Well, you could very generously say, well, we can't really make the pastor pay, pay for it. That's weird. So we're not going to do that even though he should. Uh, um, uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to say, pastor, I forgive you. Um, we're not going to make you pay for it, okay? That's one way to do it. You say, pastor, we forgive you. Like we forgive the offense of it. Um, uh, we need you to kind of, kind of go halfway in on us, you know, help us out or we'll, we'll fix it together. We'll build it together. Or, um, or you say, look, I forgive the offense of it. And then I, I would, I would have to pay for it. Say, I, I got to pay for this. I'm sorry. You know, but, but the point is, is that you can't just say, I forgive you and have a toppled mailbox in front of you. Like the damage has to be fixed. The damage, there is damage that has to be repaired. It has to be sorted out. And that is the problem with sin. With our sin, is that with the damage is done, that we didn't just knock over a mailbox, we took out the house, right? The damage is of a, such a degree that we cannot fix it. We can't, you know, roll our sleeves up and, and really get to work and fix it. It's not going to happen. And so that's what makes forgiveness, divine grace so special is that just as the father in this story is not required to forgive his sons and pay, and pay the cost, he does so in love for them. He eats the offensiveness in his mercy. He takes it into him. That is what the grace of the gospel does. It takes younger and older brothers like us and pays the cost for our sins and restores us to the family as sons of the living God that we can join the party. And the way this is done is by the second aspect, which is we find grace in our Father in heaven, first of all, but then secondly, and lastly, we find grace in our elder brother, Jesus. Jesus left this parable open because of the people he was talking to. He was speaking in the presence of tax collectors and sinners. 
But he was talking to the Pharisees and the tax collectors. He was talking to the elder brothers. And the message of the younger brother, no doubt, testified to the the tax collectors and sinners that they should repent and return to their father in heaven because he will receive them. He loves to receive repentant sinners. But Jesus is speaking to elder brothers, Pharisees and scribes, opening the question to them that they had to answer for themselves. Will you come into your father's joy and be restored? Because both brothers need to understand that they are lost, that they're dead in their transgressions. That's actually one of the problems that the elder brother types have that the younger brothers don't. The older brothers don't know they're lost. They don't know that they're dead in their sins. But in Jesus, we are found. In Christ, we are made alive. Because Jesus is the true elder brother who not only celebrates the, and welcomes his adoptive wayward brothers and sisters, but he paves the way of our entrance through his death and resurrection. He shares his inheritance with us gladly, which is the very kingdom of God, which we are not worthy to set one toe into. So we need to ask, where are you at this morning? Are you in the midst of sinful, the pursuit of sinful hedonistic pleasure that is starting to feel hollow? Are you tending the pigs, longing to come home to your father, but you're wondering if he'll receive you? Know that your heavenly father is waiting to meet you in the road. He won't let you get to the gate before he takes you up in his arms and restores you. Are you outside the celebration of grace, stating to God in your anger and resentment how he has not adequately rewarded your faithfulness? Are you jealous of how younger brothers get get away with everything and how gracious God is toward them? Know that your heavenly Father comes out to meet you as well and to bring you into his joy. We need to look to Jesus this morning. Jesus who is our elder brother. Jesus who is the one that we truly need. Who gave up everything for us so that we might trust in Him and be welcomed into the family of God. The question is not merely which brother are you as if this is just some kind of weird Bible personality quiz. But will you come home to your heavenly Father? If you will, He will not be waiting for you with crossed arms and a furrowed brow and a wagging finger. What took you so long? He will not receive you with an awkward hug or a tepid handshake. Rather, on account of His blessed Son, Jesus Christ, God will receive you with joy and celebration with all of heaven with him. So, I ask you, will you come home today?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the way home is open, that you call all of us, whether we are the rule keepers or the rule breakers, to abandon our foolish pursuits of earthly pleasure and joy and to seek you and to seek you out. And Father, you promise to receive us. You promise to welcome us. You promise to to restore us, to bring us in. And Lord, many of us here have We know you. We are believers. We are in the party. But Lord, we confess that far too often we start tending towards those old ways. We start walking those old paths again. And and even sometimes to the point where we wonder if you will take us back. If there is a way home again. And you tell us again, yes. Come home. Repent. Turn. And we will find you there. We will find our elder, elder brother Jesus there with his nail-pierced nail arms and feet, his wounded side, his crown and glory as a testimony that you always receive repentant sinners and you even receive your children when we have gone off the way. And so, Father, we pray. You would open our eyes this morning, not merely to our condition, but to the way of grace that is in your blessed Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand now and respond to God's word by singing together hymn 293, My Hope is Built.